So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, maybe you have the Version app on your phone. If you grab that Version app and you go down to the bottom right corner and click on those lines down there, find the events section, you'll be able to find the sermon outline there to follow along uh, with as well. So this is week number three in what was going to be a four-week series of sermons, but as I was studying this week, I actually hollered out the window to Ernie as he was trying to steal our hose. So he really, he wasn't trying to steal, he was watering flowers here, but... Uh, so I'm trying to decide if I use chapter four to illustrate something from chapter three. Well, I decided to do that. Um, so our focus has been uh, in the book of Jonah has been revival lessons that we can learn from the reluctant prophet. In chapter one, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and preach. God sent a great storm after he decided to run. Uh, and so Jonah was thrown over to the side of the boat, right? And the great storm stopped. And, and Jonah, as he was beginning to sink, or maybe as he even jumped or was thrown into the water, was swallowed by a a great fish. And, and our focus on week one was this. If revival is going to take place, then God's people are going to have to answer God's call to go out and preach God's message. That was the, the, the focus. In chapter two, which was last week, Jonah experienced immediate regret. He confessed his sin. He stated his willingness to be faithful to God. God heard his prayer. The fish swam back to the shore and spit him out on the shore. Our, our focus last week was before repentance can take place in the world, it must first take place in the life of the follower of Christ. Our focus today in chapters three and four is going to be this. If revival is going to take place, then God's word needs to be preached. It needs to be preached. And when God's word is properly preached, repentance will follow. It will follow. And truth is, is this isn't an easy message to preach. Truth is, I was even sitting down here beforehand thinking maybe I should just preach on freedom. There are a few verses that I can think of uh, to, to preach on that. But, but let's go ahead and begin to dig into Jonah chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a set, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did you notice there's a few things, right? You'll see in your outline, I'm asking a question. Did you notice? And the first thing, did you notice that God is giving Jonah a second chance? Jonah blew it, right? For all intents and purposes, his relationship with God was completely over. And what many, including Jonah, might have thought initially as he's swallowed by that great fish is that, that this is the end for Jonah. As a matter of fact, when we think about it, the fish became a gigantic blessing to Jonah. Had that fish not shown up, Jonah, if his body would have made it to the bottom of the ocean, probably wouldn't have for all the animals to, to well, have a meal as he was sinking. Uh, that's what would have taken place. But God sent this great fish, and, and from the belly of that great fish, Jonah repented, and he's getting this second chance, right? If you'll allow me, right, for, if you'll allow him, I'm sorry, God will use the consequences of our sin to put us in a position to be used by him after we repent, after we give ourselves fully over to him. And this pattern is seen all throughout the, the Bible. Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, a word of caution here is, is that if we're going to live a willful life of disobedience, we have to understand that God is not possibly going to give us a second chance. Because the truth is, is that sometimes I think we think about God in this way, that, that God's a God of second chances, so I'll, I'll just go out and do whatever I want to do, and, and then he'll give me this second chance. Well, was that true for Nadab and Abihu? No. 
They offered a strange fire to the Lord, and they were struck down right away. Was that true for King Saul? You know, as we dig through David's life later this year, I'm going to mention maybe more than once that if there's a union in heaven, between heaven and hell, then I think King Saul has a right to file a grievance. Uh, you know, because all he did was offer an unlawful sacrifice. He didn't kill people, right? And, and that was enough for God to throw him aside. So listen, we can't just lay aside our lives and think, well, God's just going to give me a second chance so I can do what I want. God is a God of second chances. However, we should strive to live lives of immediate obedience right now. Did you notice God didn't remind Jonah of his previous failure? God didn't show up again to give Jonah this call and say, well, Jonah, you know, you blew it the first time. I, I really should have just let you sink or just dissolve in the belly of that fish. But, but let's see if you can listen to me this time. Let's see if you have enough love for me this time to be obedient to me. No, I love this about God. This clear principle from this is that, that we have to catch it. When God, when he convicts us of our sin and when he puts us in positions of living out the consequences of that sin. Do you know that God's goal for us at all times is that we come to repentance? That's what he wants to use those points of conviction for. Not that we should live in this constant shame and regret. Not that we should hide our heads in shame at all times. As a matter of fact, have you ever noticed the person who has the most difficult time forgetting about your sin, who they are? It's you. It's you. God doesn't spend his time reminding us of all the failures that we've had in the past. Uh, there's a few verses of scripture that I, I'd like to share with you. I shared it last week, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You know, he says there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that verse alone is worth the weight of gold uh, from God's word. But did you know that follows chapter 7? And you might remember chapter 7. In chapter 7, this is where Paul expresses that great struggle. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, these I do. And then he asks this question in verses 24 and 25. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? Thanks be to God through Christ, our, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Paul's talking about that struggle, right? And he's understanding that it's a constant life struggle. And then when we fail, it's going to happen. Anybody fail this week? Anyone? God's giving you a second chance. Right now, do we learn from that? Have we repented? Do we understand that when we repent, it requires things of us? One more verse that I love. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And this is what it says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. When he forgives us, when we confess our sins, and as the Bible says, he's faithful to, and just to forgive us our sins. When he does that, he removes them, as the psalm writer says, as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't convict us for us to live in shame and guilt. He convicts us so that we'll repent. And Jonah here, he's given that second time, and when God, that second chance, God doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you're a failure the first time. Let's see if you can get it right this time. So... Did you notice that God's call to Jonah didn't change? It didn't change. God gave Jonah a simple command, arise, go, proclaim. Jonah, arise. And this is the thing. I wonder if Jonah thought, well, maybe God's going to call me to something different now. He's given me a second chance. You know, he didn't save me just for me to, to live a life of obscurity uh, and Tarshish. No, he saved me for a purpose. He spit me back out on this land. I hope the call is going to be different this time, and it wasn't. The call was the same. Arise, go, and proclaim. 
He, he was to go to Nineveh, that city that he hated. Remember, we talked about that fact. Uh, they, they were hated because they were wicked, evil people. They had already started invading the northern kingdom of Israel and taking captives, killing the men and children and taking women as sex slaves. Jodah, Jonah, he hated the Ninevites. And this was the whole reason that he was going to run 2,500 miles away. So the journey to Nineveh, when he got back on shore, would have taken 30 days. That's a lot of time to second guess. Maybe God didn't really call me to go here. But he did. And when he got there, what was he told to do? Man, look at the words in the text itself and what the Bible declares. The Bible says that when he got there, he was to preach, what? Against the city. Well, it's the same call he had. Call out against it. Friends, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be given that call today? Who wants that call today? All right, comfortable Christian in central Ohio, here's what I want you to do. I want you to arise and I want you to go to the banks of the Olentangy River as the people gather together and march in the parades that dishonor me. And I want you to proclaim 40 days, 40 days and you're all going to hell. Isn't that what it simply was? Wasn't that Jonah's message? Truth is, as the church, we've abdicated our responsibility of being salt and light in the world. And the only reason, when we think about it, if you remember when we were in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, if the only reason that salt's necessary during the times of, the Christ, of Christ was to prevent decay. It wasn't to add flavor. It wasn't to make things better like we've turned it in. No, it's to prevent decay. If meat was going to survive, it needed salt in it so that it didn't decay. The follower of Christ has the responsibility to prevent decay in society today. Light was used to expel darkness. Think about that. Do you remember, as I mentioned about World War II, that in Europe, England specifically, at nighttime, entire cities would black out? so that the bombers couldn't see their cities as they were flying over it and dropped the bombs. Truth is, is that I believe entire churches have blacked out. Well, we've stopped shining the light of Christ in the world and we've become comfortable. We're comfortable with that. I'm, I'm afraid that, that our comfort has removed us from our responsibility. And Jonah was given that message to preach it and he obeyed it. He showed up in that city. And I wonder what it was that made his appearance stand out? Was it his clothes? Was it the message that he was preaching? Was it the fact that he probably looked different after spending three days in the belly of a great fish? I don't know, but he got there and he simply said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. If we take the text God's word, uh, as God's word alone, then, then the message doesn't say why God will overthrow, how God will overthrow. Is there a chance for God to stop, for God's judgment to be stopped upon them? No. It's just simply he's walking through the streets and he's saying, essentially today, if we were to take it into our culture, y'all ain't got no hope. Hell's coming. You need to prepare to meet God. I believe there was probably more to his message and we'll see why here in a few moments. Let's look at verses five through nine. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the Lord, or the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published uh, through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, nor herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites, did you notice they responded with faith and repentance? Right? It was faith and repentance. First, they believed God. They believed him. When the prophet showed up and started preaching, listen, guys, 40 days and you'll have hell to pay. I mean, that's really what his message was. You know what they didn't do to Jonah? They didn't ridicule him. They didn't push him aside. They didn't throw him into prison. They listened. And in hearing that message, they believed the truth of what he was declaring. But the fact is, is it doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. The very people that Jonah hated were willing to do what his own people were not willing to do. Because as you read through the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, God was sending prophet after prophet after prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. And each prophet that came, they didn't listen to. As a matter of fact, if you want to see kind of how they treated the prophets, turn to Hebrews 11 sometime this week and read what they did to them. And these very people that Jonah hated and many other people hated, they heard this message and they believed what God had to say. It's not true of the people of Israel. Jeremiah would be thrown into prison. Elisha would be hunted down and chased and so on and so on after so many of the prophets. What did the people of Nineveh do? They repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They fasted. Even Jesus said this about them. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And their repentance was more than worldly sorrow. It was more than putting on fasting or sackcloth and ashes. It led them, it led them to walk away from the violence of their hands. You see, true repentance also led to national repentance. Did you see what took place there? It says the king heard about it. And what did the king do? He got off of his throne, he disrobed himself, taking off his, his kingly garments, and, and he joined the people in repentance, and he called for a repentance so deep that even the animals weren't allowed to eat. Even they put on sackcloth and ashes. Man. Let's read Jonah 3.10. It says there, When God saw that the, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relented from the planned destruction. God noticed their faith and their action. He noticed their faith and their action. Right? Far too often people, and I've had this happen to me as a preacher, people will walk out of the church and they'll say something like this, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. You stepped on my toes today. And, and you know what I, when, what I need to start doing or anybody that has the chance to preach God's word needs to start doing from that point on? When they say, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. Okay, what are you going to do about it? What changes are you going to make? What's going to be different? Because God promised this destruction to them if they didn't hear this message. They heard. And did you notice in the text what it says? He didn't respond to their fasting. He, he didn't even respond to their outer actions of putting on sackcloth and ashes. What did he respond to? Did you see what it said? When they turned away from the evil and the wicked in their hands. When they turned away from that, God relented of this punishment that he was going to bring upon them. I don't think we have to take too much of a leap to apply Jonah 3 and 4, and we'll apply Jonah 4 here in a few moments. But, but like Jonah, we have been given a mission. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Go, baptize, teach, trust. What did he tell Jonah? Arise, go, proclaim. He's telling us, go, baptize, teach, trust. Just so we're aware of something crucial here, the demand on the apostles has been passed down to all who would follow. That, that command there is for us today. God has called us to mission. And just like he didn't spit Jonah out on the sides of the shore just for him to stay there and be fat, dumb, and happy. No, he spit him out so that he would arise, go, and proclaim. And once he saves us, he doesn't save us so that we can sit around in our seats of comfort wondering what we should do for the rest of our lives. We have this command. Go, baptize, teach, trust. We need to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. When he met Christ, he immediately began to preach Christ. And preaching Christ meant that he would find himself at odds with culture. Culture after culture. Remember, I mean, there were some similarities, but every place he went, he found himself at odds with that culture. And when Paul would go, he would do this simple thing. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For Paul, it was to preach Christ. What was the cross necessary for? Sin. You remember John the Baptist, when Jesus was walking by, he points his disciples to Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. If we're going to preach the cross, then we have to preach sin. And to preach sin is to call for repentance. Are we willing? Are we willing to accept that call? Are we willing to stand on the truth of God's word in this world today? Or do we just want to be convicted? Is it enough for us to think, well, I sure could do better? What's God calling us to? Because the truth is, is preaching repentance will make us unpopular. The world will hate us. In fact, most of the world is seeking to push Christianity out of every fabric of society. Can you imagine that 75 years ago that a football coach would have had to go all the way to the Supreme Court just to have the right to pray? Not to lead people in prayer, but for him to pray by himself. Can you imagine that would have taken place in our nation 75 years ago? It wouldn't have. There are some who consider parents enforcing biblical models in their home as child abuse. And we're not too far away from those charges being brought up in court against parents. And to preach repentance, it may cost us something. It may cost us relationships with people we love. It may cost us our jobs. It may even cost us our lives. Let me close with some suggestions on preaching repentance, and, and there are four of them. Preaching repentance is best done by, well, modeling repentance, by modeling it. 
Remember the journey of Jonah, right? He, he was called, he ran, he was judged, he repented, he was given that second chance, and he lived in that repentance. And, and there's no such thing as a perfect follower of Christ who never sins. The fact is, is if we have to be perfect to preach Christ, then nobody's preaching. Nobody. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single person. So people may doubt our repentance, but we repent anyway, and we preach anyway. So the problem is, is that the world sees us as hypocrites. And it's time we stop getting offended at that, church. It's time we stop allowing that to be the reason that we, we, we're not modeling repentance in the world. But to be called a hypocrite merely means, man, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And there are times that I blow it. I blow it. And I, I need to return to him. And I, I just need to model what that means to you as well. But the truth is, is the same thing's happening in other areas of the world. There was an article in the New York Times about a Dr. Linda Gottlieb and what she said, the practice of psychotherapy in the United States of losing its client base. And essentially, here's what this article went through and said. Uh, uh, psychotherapists are losing their patients because psychotherapists or patients no longer want to come and they don't want to be fixed anymore. Right? They, they don't want to be fixed because they're not the problem. Other people are the problem. And so these psychotherapists have hired rebranding consultants. And, so, and they've rebranded. Instead of fixing you, here's what they've done. Are you having difficulty with troubled people? And that, that's the way they've rebranded it. And instead of saying fixing you, do you want to experience life at its fullest? And this doctor admitted that there was something just that didn't sit right in her soul with doing that. But man, in the church... We've kind of done that. We've stopped modeling repentance and preaching repentance. Jesus said these words, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? He says, or, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, uh, out of your eye, when there is a log in, in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you see what he said? It's not that we're not supposed to preach repentance, it's that we model repentance first and then preach it from there. So second, preaching repentance is best done by following the example of missionaries. I want to be very careful here. I've already asked the question, if God calls you to, to the side of a parade to preach, are you going to do it? Truth is, is I don't think God's going to call most of us to do something like that. Why? Because I don't think that works today any longer. There was a time in society that people were afraid of hell. It's just not the case anymore today. And so there's a way that we have to reach people. And the way we have to reach people is the same way missionaries reach people. Missionaries don't, don't, don't get on site. They don't unpack their stuff and walk out to the first street corner they find and say, let me tell you why you're going to hell. It's not what they do. No, they unpack and they get to know the people they're around and they gain a right to, to share Christ with the people that are there. See, the fact is, is that God has strategically placed us. He's placed us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces for this very purpose, to become a part of those communities, to find needs in the lives of people, and to point them to the ultimate reality of Christ meeting their ultimate need of forgiveness found only in Him. But the only way we can begin to do that is to begin to act like missionaries. We, should, we can be sure in doing so that we will end up talking about sin. We will end up talking about repentance. Uh, how would our mission change if we realized that God has strategically placed us where he wants us to, to think and act like a missionary? 
How often do we pause each day and consider, God has brought this person into my life for this reason. God has given me this blessing for this reason. It was for such a time as this that I have been born for this place. I believe that's the heart behind the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. See, we need to preach repentance like missionaries do. Repeaching, preaching repentance is best done by following the example of Christ. A, a while back, while going through my devotional reading, I ran across a passage of Scripture that I, it made me pause and think for a while. And, and, and it's found three different places in the Gospel of Matthew, the same thought. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Just go ahead and leave those other two verses up there for a few seconds, and you'll see those verses that follow that say the same thing. See, when Jesus saw people, he saw them for who they were and what they were. I'm afraid that we often see people the same way Jonah saw the Ninevites. We often see those people who are far from Christ the same way that he saw them. And I brought this up in the, in the first week. I've called Jonah the reluctant prophet. Ultimately, he obeyed God. But I believe that, that he had a hope that God would still bring judgment upon the people of Nineveh. That's where chapter 4 comes in. Verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in, in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> Picture Jonah in that moment, right? God, didn't I tell you? I mean, we had this conversation when you first gave me the call. I knew you were going to be gracious to these people. And if the fact that you being gracious to these people means that they have the hope of a relationship with you, God, why don't you just kill me now? Why don't you just end my life now? Do you do well? Do you do well to be angry, he says to Jonah. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in it under the shade till he should see what become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed the scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so he was faint. And he asked, that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Have you ever been there? In that place of anger? 
You're looking at the world and the, where the world is at. And we, many of us men, I, I, think, I think we're there. See, see, God looks at Jonah in this point and says, come on, Jonah. I, I mean, listen to what you're saying. Seriously? You didn't create this vine. I did. I'm the one that ended it. Take a look at the people of Nineveh. That's basically what he's going to say in verses 10 and 11. And, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And you pity that plant? You didn't cause it to grow, I did. And listen, Jonah, I created everything. And the Ninevites, yes, even them too, I created them. And should I not pity Nineveh? There are 120,000 who do not know their right from their left. Do you know what he's talking about there? Children. Kids, those who haven't had a chance to be pulled away yet. And God is saying, should I not pity those that I have created? And isn't the answer, yes, you should. Think about us for a few moments, church. I wonder if the question that, that he's speaking there is really a question for us right now. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to wish for the world to go to hell? Do you do well? Do you remember watching the World Trader, Trade Center buildings fall? I, I, I do. I, I do that morning. And I remember the first thought. Of course, we had no idea how many people were in those buildings when they first fell. And, you know, initially they're saying there's as many as 50,000 people who work in these buildings, which I thought, man, that's, those are some huge buildings. And, and I'm thinking thousands of people all of a sudden ushered into the presence of God to be judged eternally. That's what I was thinking that day. That's what I was thinking. Friends, do we really want nearly 8 billion people ushered into the presence of God without first hearing the gospel message of Christ? I'm not talking about their sin. Because even though their sin is different than ours, our sin is still sin just like theirs. I'm not talking about that. I wonder if that question that was spoken to Jonah is really spoken to us as well. Christian, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to call for judgment? Do you do well to hope for the fall of all humanity? Should I not care for those who have fallen victim to the enemy? Should I not care for those who are living out the consequences of them being molested, them being hurt, them being torn away from me? Should I not care for them? Listen, I'm not saying we don't go and preach. I am saying we go and preach. I am saying that we stand up when God calls us to stand up. I am saying that we tell people that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, including theirs. But as we're doing it, we need to do so with compassion and love. Not the way Jonah was right here. Jonah, I always get this picture in my head that, that after he asked for God to kill him the first time, he climbed up on that mountain. He, he, he stopped by the concession stand on the way up and he got his Mike and Ike's and a bag of popcorn and a soda and he was sitting there ready for God to bring destruction down upon them. And when he didn't, he thought, man, I hated this show. Why did I ever get a ticket to this? How would our mission change if we were to realize that God has not left us here to do his job? He's not left us here to condemn the world. He's not left us here to judge the sin of others. He's left us here to preach Christ. He's left us here to preach repentance. 
Our job is to be the hands and feet and to preach Christ, earn a right to share Christ in the lives of other people. How would our mission change if we looked at those who were harassed and helpless without a shepherd in the world with the same eyes that Jesus did? We would see them and we would love them and we would do everything we could do to get the gospel message into their hearts and minds. Judgment is coming. It's coming. In the meantime, he's left us here as the church to preach repentance. Our message would change. We'd be a lot less Westboro Baptists and a lot more with Jesus with skin on. One final thought when it comes to preaching repentance. Preaching repentance is best done by trusting God for the results. God hasn't called us. He hasn't called us to get the results. He's just called us to be faithful. Faithful to preaching the word of God. Faithful to challenging people to submit to what God's word declares for their lives. Preaching the true gospel of grace will not be easy. We may lose friends who think we've jumped off the cliff called crazy. We may lose family members that tell us they never want to hear from us again. We may lose a job. I remember being pulled into the office and telling, after sharing with somebody in the office there at Simmons Company or down on the floor, uh, telling them, listen, your relationship you're having with a guy's name was Larry, it's not right. You know, you're a Christian, you know that's not right. And then the human resources guy called me to the office and he said, you can't do that. And, and I said, respectfully, Judy and I have had a conversation long before this conversation. And, and if that's the case, I'm still going to share truth with her. We may lose jobs. We could even lose our lives. Even there. Church, let me ask. Will you preach Christ? Will you call for repentance? That's the task. Our job is not to create the results. Our job is to trust God for the results and to be obedient to preach Christ. We can learn these lessons from Jonah and do so by loving people and having compassion for them, not hating them because they're different than us, but loving them toward Christ, earning a right to share the gospel with them. Jonah called God, and he's calling us to go, to baptize, to preach, and to trust. So, are you running to the shore right now? Are you looking for your boat? Or are you willing to pick up the call and answer? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the love you have for us in Christ and the opportunity that we have to worship you today. We thank you for the songs of praise that we were able to sing for our time of remembering the body and blood of Christ through communion. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share back in the giving through uh, 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 through, through our offerings and through giving. God, we thank you that we can worship from your word. God, it's my prayer that your spirit will do his work on all of our hearts, every single one of us, to come in and remind us of those areas that we need to repent, to come in and challenge us to answer that call to go, to baptize, to teach, and to trust. Trust that you will raise us up on the last day no matter what. Trust that you are going to be with us to the very end of the age. Trust that you are the one who will bring the results. But Lord, lead us out of this room in faithfulness to you to answer the call. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. If you've not yet responded to the gospel message of Christ, uh, know this. Jesus loves you and died for your sin. You have this opportunity right now to believe in him, to believe that he died for your sin, to confess him to be the Lord of your life, to repent of life and that repentance means you you you, start, you turn away from a life of running from him and turn to him 
to submit to Christian baptism and from this point on to chase holiness. But let me remind you that chasing holiness is accepting the mission. So if you're ready to take those steps, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. I'd love to meet you down in front. Let's stand together.